0: I want to thank you for singing that hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. It's a a difficult hymn, but it's it's a hymn that speaks of freedom. My chains fell off, my heart was free. Do you know that you are free? Truly free? Not just as Americans, but I mean, as Christians, you are free. You don't have to do anything, anything, to please God in heaven. For Christ has done everything. You are free. Let's pray. Holy and gracious Father, your, your Son has a wonderful word of promise to us today. A word of resurrection and life. Oh Lord, let us hear these words. Let us, let us believe these words so that we would know that we are free truly free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, I I struggled with the flu this week and it turned into a respiratory infection. So I thank you for those um, who knew and, and prayed for me and my family. It's amazing how a sickness can slow everything down and cause you to see things that you otherwise wouldn't see. Being sick forces you to see your limitations. Sickness also forces you to see mortality. Even more, sickness makes you watch too much TV. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think there's anything worse in this world than being sick and watching bad TV. It's terrible. I mean, why couldn't you, when you're sick, have good TV to watch? I don't understand it. It even forces you when you're sick to see things in God's Word. Maybe even to see them a little differently. This week as I was working on my sermon, I was looking at John chapter 11. And normally the way I see John chapter 11 is in its context of the whole book, all of John. And John chapter 11 functions as a hinge between the first half and the second half of the book. The first half has to deal with Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry for those three years. The last half of this book, after the resurrection of Lazarus, deals with Jesus' final week. In fact, even more than that, up to this point, Jesus would say, My time has not yet come. But from this point on, Jesus will say, Now the time is at hand. And so there's a change. Even more, the, the death and resurrection of Lazarus is what causes the Jews to plot against Jesus in the first place. This is why they wanted, because all the people start feel, um, following Jesus, the Jewish leaders say, we better kill this Jesus and kill Lazarus um, in order to uh, not be under Rome's uh, heavy hand. I always think that's funny and ironic that they want to kill the one who, who raises from the dead. <laughs> I, that's a different sermon, I guess. <clears throat> but that's how I'd normally look at this passage, as a hinge, between what happened and what's going to happen. But when you're sick, you slow down, and you start seeing other things. And for me this week, I realized that in this passage, with the death of Lazarus, there's real pain in this passage, and real confusion, and also real faith. In the midst of despair. And so let's look at these real pain. Whenever there's death, pain is there. In verses 33 through 35, we are told this When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, I must say I like that verse 35. I like it for many reasons. One, as a child, it's great to, when you have to memorize a Bible verse. That's the best one to memorize. John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. How many of you actually did that when you were younger? Look at that. See, you all know you did that to get the little star on the board. Jesus wept. But the reason this passage is is wonderful is because it it not only demonstrates Jesus' humanity. I mean, he was human. But but more than that, Jesus in this verse gives us permission to cry. For the God of the universe is actually weeping. Now, this is important because many of us were raised to keep our emotions in. We're told, don't let your emotions get the best of you. And as a result, we don't even understand or know how to respond to death. Are we to cry? Are we to celebrate? Are we to feel guilty? What if we feel nothing? Is something wrong with us? In truth, we don't know how to respond to death. And that does, of course, make sense even more, because we were never designed to die. And thus, we were never designed to handle death. Now, by Jesus crying, though, Jesus is not only revealing how God feels about death, it pains God whenever there's death. But it's more than that, Jesus is giving us permission, permission to cry." St. Augustine, in his confessions, wrote, "The tears stream down, and I let them flow as freely as they would, making of them a pillow for my heart on them." My heart rests. When I was at seminary, I had an Old Testament professor who, who was a chaplain. And he, he had, was a chaplain, then he became an Old Testament professor, and everyone loved him. He was a good man. And, and I always liked, we always appreciated that about twice a week, he'd go to the cafeteria for dinner, and his wife would meet him there. And the two of them, this, this old couple, would just eat dinner together. And it was great. It was wonderful to see them look at each other and to laugh with each other and to say nothing to each other. I mean, it was, it was, it was beautiful. My senior year at the seminary, his wife died of a terminal illness, and he was gone for a few weeks, and, and then he came back to teach. And the community really embraced him and really loved him. And and the seminary students made sure that he never ate dinner by himself when he went to the cafeteria. We'd always come and someone or a few of us would come to his table and and spend time with him. And at one such occasion, I had a chance to talk with him. And it was just the two of us. And I asked him how he was doing. And this has been months after his wife's death. And he said, thank you for asking, but he said, I'm not doing okay. And he said, I will not be okay until I see my wife Millie at the resurrection. Thank you for asking again, but I'm not okay until that day. Never asked him again. Uh, This is a man who, who experienced real pain. Over the death of, of the woman he, he loved. Death is painful. It's painful for all of us. It's painful for God. Jesus wept. Now whenever there's pain. And something so as severe as death. It causes us to be extremely confused. And it forces us to ask difficult questions. And to make these questions that we ask are so difficult, we see it happen in these verses. In verse 21, Martha asked Jesus a terribly difficult question. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, why weren't you here? And why aren't you asking God to raise him now? A little later... Martha's sister Mary asks the same question. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why weren't you here? In so many words. Or later in verse 35, the crowd asked, Could not Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, why didn't you? These are terribly difficult hard questions. Have you ever asked such a question of God? Have you ever wondered why you haven't done this, God? Or why you allowed that, God? I think most, if not all of us, have asked such questions. There's a professor, Nicholas Wolterstorff, who lost his son at age 25 to a mountain climbing accident. And as he thought about the death of his son, he had tremendous questions in his mind. And he writes this. He said, I cannot fit it all together. I have no explanation. I can do nothing else than endure in the face of this deepest and most painful of mysteries. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Resurrector of Jesus Christ. I also believe my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit these pieces together. I am at a loss. To the most agonizing question I've ever asked, I do not know the answer. I do not know why God would watch him fall. I do not know why God would watch me wounded. I cannot even guess. Nicholas Walterstorff experienced the confusion and the pain of death. Death is extremely painful. Death is extremely confusing. And yet in the midst of this pain and in the midst of this confusion, there is an opportunity for faith. In fact, it's often in the most difficult of times when the promises of God are heard the clearest. And that's what brings us ultimately to our passage this morning. As we see Jesus speak a promise to Martha, and Martha is the one who's going to respond in faith. Now, when most of you think of Martha, what do you normally think of? Martha versus Mary, right? They're the two sisters. And Martha is what? She's the busy one, the busybody. And Martha, and Mary was the one who sat at the feet of Jesus. And for anyone who's the Martha type who likes to work, you sit there and you look at those Marys and you go, you lazy person, you. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that way, I don't know. But if Mary's the one who's the woman of faith always, not Martha, but in this passage, Martha gets her revenge. <laughs> Martha is the one who is the woman of faith in this passage. It's not Mary, it's Martha. And Martha's the one who's going to be able to, to say this wonderful proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now listen to what happens, verses 20 through um, 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And of course, Mary would, she's lazy, we know that already. Anyway, we'll keep going. "'Lord,' Martha said to Jesus, "'if you had been here, my brother would not have died. "'But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask.' "'Jesus said to her, "'Your brother will rise again.' "'Martha answered, "'I know he will rise again "'in the resurrection at the last day.' "'Jesus said to her, "'I am the resurrection and the life. "'He who believes in me will live even though he dies, "'and whoever lives and believes in me will never die.' Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Now, what's important about this exchange is that Martha is still filled with pain. Her brother hasn't been raised from the dead. She's still filled with confusion. She doesn't get an answer to her her questions. But for some reason, this woman filled with pain, filled with confusion, can still make the proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who was sent from the Father. And you have to understand in the Gospel of John, the hero of any passage is the one who can actually say, you know, I believe, I, I believe in, in that Christ or Jesus is the Son of Man. I believe he is the Son of God. So Martha is the person that we want to be. I mean, that's how it works in this passage. She's the one who's, who gets it. And so the question for us is how? How can she get it? She didn't get an answer to her question. Lazarus hasn't been raised from the dead yet. How is she getting it? Well, we have to understand that Jesus, in the midst of her pain, speaks a wonderful promise to her. And the promise is this. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, every word is important here. I am. In Greek, ego eimi. In in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Ego eimi is the name for God. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, Martha, the person who's standing before you isn't just mere Jesus. It's ego eimi. It's God Almighty. God is in front of you at this time. And so that's how Jesus begins. Next, he says, Egoi me, I am the resurrection. You have to understand that the resurrection means, right, that which happens at the end, the last day when the dead are raised. Now, in Jesus' day, um, people believed in the resurrection. Martha believed in the resurrection. But in Jesus' day, people believed that the way the resurrection happened was... If you were obedient to the law, then God would raise you. If you you were faithful, God would raise you. If you were not faithful, not obedient, well, God might raise you, but you better bring ice cubes because he's going to send you somewhere else type of idea. A contemporary of Jesus even wrote this. He said, a man has obtained a good reputation. He has something of value. But if he has gained for himself the words of the law, He has gained for himself life in the world to come. In other words, again, if you are obedient to the law, then you will be raised from the dead for eternity. You know, things haven't changed much in our day. People think the same way. Now, you don't have to be obedient to the law. That's, That's too hard. People in our day basically say, if you're a good person, then you're going to go to heaven. And if you're not so good... Well, then you're going somewhere else. Now, it's always funny when people make these claims because I always think, well, how good is good? I mean, do you have to be really good or just better than your neighbor? And I always like that one, better than your neighbor, because if you live with my neighbors, you know, I'm going the express route compared to my neighbors, right? Is there a sliding scale of goodness? You know, you were disadvantaged as a child, so you only have to be this good. You, you grew up with Pastor Russ as a neighbor, so you have to only be that good. I mean, how in the world does this good work? You know, it, it's, a, it's a ludicrous statement because there's no, there's no certainty with it. You're stuck in fancy land trying to decide what level is good or not. It doesn't make any sense. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, he's saying to Martha, Martha, Lazarus is not going to be raised from the dead because he is obedient to the law. Martha, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead because I love him. Because I love him. How different is that? What would you rather stand before God based upon? Your works? or God's love for you in Christ? Which one actually provides security? Which one actually offers a real hope? Your obedience, or God's love? Amen. Of course it's God's love. And that's what Jesus is saying to Martha. Martha, I am. God is the resurrection. And guess what? I loved Lazarus. You better believe I'm going to raise him. Let that be your hope, not in how good he was. The hymn that we're going to sing after the sermon goes, In Christ alone my hope is found, He is my light, my strength, my song, This cornerstone, this solid ground, Firm through the fiercest drought and storm, What heights of love, what depths of peace, When fears are stilled, when striving cease, My comforter, my all in all, Here in the love of Christ I stand. Not in here in the love of my obedience or I stand. It's here in the love of Christ. So Jesus begins, I am the resurrection. Martha, I am the source of resurrection. But then he goes further. He says, not only am I the resurrection, I am the life. That doesn't refer to the end day. That refers to the here and now. With these words, Jesus wants us to understand that our life, our real life, our life with God, The source of that life isn't found in my obedience, but again, it's found in God. And this is important because just last night, I went over to someone's house to drop off a cooler. And there's this couple in back, and and they were drinking beer, and and this this girl said, oh, I can't drink any beer. I've given it up for Lent. And I said, well, then I'll take it for you. (laughs) You make a statement like that, I'm going to take it. And I said to her, I said, I said, why are you giving up beer for Lent? And she said, well, because I want to get right with God. And I said to her, I said, so, so, not drinking beer makes you right with God. I go, I wanted to say, give me a scripture passage, please. How God's going to smile down on heaven based on not drinking beer. But I didn't. I just simply asked her, I said, then why did Jesus have to die? If your getting right with God is based on not drinking beer, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Is, Is your not drinking beer the source of your life? Or is Christ's death the source? of your life. You can't have it both ways. Whatever you lift up, you diminish the other one. I don't know if I'll ever see this person again. I mean, it's my first meeting with this person. I don't know if I'll ever see her again. I hope I do. Because which one are you going to have as the source of your life? Your obedience or Christ's? May it always be Christ. May it only be Christ. In fact, the life that Christ offers is what the Apostle Paul speaks about when he says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Like the resurrection, Jesus is the source of our life. And we know this because of the prologue. Of John, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In Christ was life. And the life was the light of men. Christ is the source of your life. Christ is the source of your resurrection. To, to Martha, who's filled with confusion and still filled with pain who hasn't seen her her brother raised from the dead yet god almighty comes down to her and makes a promise hey go amy e the resurrection i am the resurrection and the life martha do you believe Yes, Lord, I believe. And how could she not? For she heard a promise spoken to her by her friend, her Lord, and her God. And she believed. And so, my question for you this morning is do you believe? Do you believe that God Almighty put on flesh, came down among you, and said, I am the resurrection, and the life. I am the source of your resurrection, the source of your life. Do you believe this? Oh, I pray that you do. God is a wonderful Father who loves to give good gifts. He gives and gives good promises. and He's spoken this promise to you. Do you believe? I can't say it enough. It's like, you're free in Christ. I want to jump over this thing and say, believe it, believe it, believe it, because God has spoken it. It's a real promise. It's not Russ who's speaking it. It's not man who makes this up. It's God Almighty who comes down and could say anything. He could say, You are sinners and I want to wipe you out. That's not what he says. He doesn't come down and say, You know what? You guys have betrayed me. I'm going to betray you. He doesn't come down and say, You've broken the covenant. I'm going to break you and said, God Almighty comes down from heaven and earth, rains down, walks among us, and what does he say out of his mouth? I am, who is God? The resurrection and the life. I am your resurrection. I am your life. Your sins are forgiven. You've been united to my Son in holy baptism. He speaks these promises over and over and over and over and over. So hear him again one final time. I'll probably say it twice, but hear Jesus say again, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection, and the life. I am the resurrection, and the life. I am your resurrection, and your life. I am the resurrection, Jesus says, not only to Martha, but to you on this day. I am the resurrection, and the life, your life. In Jesus' name.